Good morning, CCF LA. Good morning. I can't hear you. Good morning. Wow. I think we should uh, move our uh, worship service from 9.30 to 9. Because we moved it down and a lot of you are here. Praise God. Wow. Are you blessed this morning? Can we appreciate our praise and worship team this morning? Brethren, while you're still asleep, some of you are probably snoring. You know, our worship team, their call time this morning was 6.30 a.m. So praise God for them, for their faithfulness. It's really something else to sing about our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Did you identify with at least some of the attributes that we've been singing about? Redeemer, Savior, Defender, King, Healer. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. He is that and more. Good morning. If you are here worshiping with us for the first time, we greet you on behalf of CCLFLA. Advance Merry Christmas. Thank you for spending your Sunday with us. We'd like to let everyone know that part of our worship service is to thank God for those in our congregation, our spiritual family, who are celebrating milestones. This week we have two. Our brother Fred Evaristo Jr. On the 22nd. And young Cole Yao on the 23rd. We'd also like to greet a happy anniversary to Pastor Reggie. He's right there taking your picture. Pastor Reggie and Sister Mylene on the 21st. And we have another anniversary. I hope they did not forget. Lest they be in trouble at Christmas. Brother Ray and Sister Tess Ferrano on the 23rd. <laughs> when it comes to Sister Tess, we cannot say Boba. We have to say Sinigang, Sinigang. <laughs> yes? Did you enjoy that Sinigang last Sunday? Wow, terrific. And of course, lest we forget, we want to greet Happy Birthday. To Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Praise be to God. You know, uh, with all the merriment going on, the celebrant, Jesus is many times overlooked. Right? You know this? You, you, you can't even greet Merry Christmas anymore. Right? Yeah, you can. Because of, the, never mind. I don't want to be political. But, you know, it's a... Uh, Happy holidays. You know, we, we, we can't greet in the public address in, in the workplace. You can say Merry Christmas because it might offend somebody. Very sad. Because this is, this is not what it was like before. Right? But let's not talk about politics. Not let, let's not talk about what's going on. Let's talk about Jesus. Is that okay with you? Now, there are a lot of... Um, Christmas stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament. You know, O Little Town of Bethlehem, where we get that song. 
In the book of Isaiah, it was foretold that a son will be born to you. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And of his kingdom there will be no end. You have the book of Luke, the Annunciation to Mary, the Annunciation to Elizabeth, the Annunciation to Joseph. So it's a challenge and I was communicating with our brother Joseph. Uh, he's in Manila right now. And he said, Pastor, what's the title of your message? So I gave him the title and said, it must be a challenge that every year you would at least try to bring a new message forth regarding Christmas. So I'm going to go ahead and share with you the title of our Christmas message this morning. Very simple. A Galatian Christmas. You see, Christmas, my friends, is spoken of in the book of Galatians. And if you've been with me as we study the book of Galatians, you will know at least some of what I'm talking about. And this is what I would like to share with us this morning, that we have a fresh view of Christmas, what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's not only about the manger. It's not only about the nativity. It's not only about the magi. It's not only about the shepherds. The central character of Christmas is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, let's read just two verses. Galatians chapter 4, let's read verses 4 and 5, shall we? But... Simple enough, right? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Is that not the Christmas story? Before we continue, let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that through him, we have the salvation of our souls, the forgiveness of our sins. And this morning, Lord God, I pray that your spirit will speak to all of us as we unpack these two seemingly brief yet profound verses that the Apostle Paul wrote for us. May we have a time of refreshing, Lord God, as we glorify you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time came. When the fullness of time came. What does that mean? You all have some timepieces. Some of us still wear wristwatches. Some of us are wearing Fitbit. 
some of us no longer wear timepieces because it's on my phone. It automatically updates, spring forward, fall backward, right? So some of us don't need a timepiece. But the Bible is telling us in the fullness of time. And that tells me that God's timetable is not necessarily the same as your timetable. Some of you may have been praying for someone for so long and perhaps you might be at a point of desperation or even impatience that God is not answering your prayer. Well, I'm telling you this morning, God is not bound to your timetable. Everything depends on God and He is in control of not only time and space and the universe. Everything that is and was and is to come is controlled by God and God alone. In the fullness of time. So what does the Bible say? But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. Let's read that. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Let's hold on to that. God, when are you going to answer my prayer? I've been faithfully bringing my requests up to you. When? And what if God says, give me a minute. Now you extrapolate. If one day is a thousand years and God says, give me a minute. Are you trying to calculate in your mind? Stop calculating. Now why? Why is it in our finite minds that we feel and we think and even accuse God of not moving in our midst? Why? Because it says, the Lord is not slow about His promise. As some, you and I, as some count slowness. But it's what? Let's read it. Is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It is only in the fullness of time. In God's perfect timing. In God's perfect sovereignty. Not late not before, not after. Only until God's appointed time will things happen in God's perfect and sovereign will. In the fullness of time. What does this have to do with the Christmas story? In the fullness of time. Luke chapter 1 verse 2 to 3. Now in the days a in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. So who made the decree to have a census taken? Caesar Augustus. When you hear about Caesars, Nero, and all those guys, what comes to your mind? What era? 
The Roman Empire. Very good. Why is it the Roman Empire? Look at verse 2. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was government, governor of Syria. Caesar Augustus sent a decree that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. And who was governor of Syria during that time? Quirinius. And what happened? What did they say? And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Why is the fullness of time very important to the Christmas story? Because in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it speaks of what we popularly know as Pax Romana, the Roman peace. It was the expansion of the Roman Empire from England to North Morocco in the South Iraq in the East. During Pax Romana, the Roman Empire reached its peak in terms of land area. In its population was estimated to be 70 million. In other words, during Pax Romana, it was the Roman Empire that practically ran the whole known world during that time. Why is that important? Because verse 3 tells us, because of the decree set out by Caesar Augustus, implemented by Quirinius, the, the governor of Syria, each one had to go back to his or her hometown to register for the census. And why was it important to go back to your hometown to register for the census? Because Luke 2 verses 4 and 5 say, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and family of David. Not only did Mary have to go back to register to her own town, Joseph had to go back to his own town because he was also of the family and lineage of David. And who was with her, with him? In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Where were they going? To Bethlehem. And while they were going, it was about the time that Mary would give birth to their son, her son, Jesus. And where was it prophesied that Messiah would be born? Bethlehem. Why is it important, that phrase, in the fullness of time? Because if it were not the Roman Empire, if it were not Pax Romana, nobody would command them, the people, to go home and register for the census. Therefore, Mary and Joseph did not need to go home to Bethlehem. In the fullness of time. It could not have been any other time in history. Because no census would be taken. Because no census would have been commanded. Therefore, there is no reason for me to go back to Manila. 
with traffic and 5 Mbps internet speed. Unless it is decreed, every Filipino must go back to his birthplace. The President Duterte has commanded that we return and register for the census because he wants to tax all Filipinos even if they live abroad and they already have the blue passport with the eagle. In the fullness of time, my friends, it is very important to know that God ordained that during the Roman Empire, a census would be decreed by Caesar Augustus so that Mary and Joseph could go to Bethlehem and register so that they could bring forth Messiah who was prophesied to be born in Bethlehem. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. God sent forth His Son. So when the angel appeared to Mary, she said, Mary said to the angel, How can this be? Since I am a virgin. Now I don't know if there is any advance in medicine today that you can just give birth. You know, you had a dream and after nine months, you're in the maternity ward. I have not heard of anything like that yet. I know of in vitro fertilization, all that good stuff. But Mary said to the angel, as the angel announced, you will be with child. You will bring forth a son. And you will call him Jesus. How can that be? For I am a virgin. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. You will be with child and you will bring forth a son and this Holy Child shall be called Son of God. Awkward. So Mary, what's going on? Well, uh, you know, it's about time. I've been carrying this baby for... So who's the dad? Uh, Holy Spirit. How did that happen? Oh, the, the power of the Most High came over me. Yeah, right. Women, ladies, if you were in Mary's shoes, you're walking around pregnant. And as you walk past, you must have been drunk. She expects us to believe that she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who is she? That God would choose her. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. And according to Luke chapter 1, 34 and 35, 
this holy child shall be called Son of God. This holy child that you are carrying, Mary, will be called the Son of God. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Pastor, we don't even need to discuss. I have not yet seen a man give birth to a child. So it's natural that she would bring forth a child born of a woman. Natural. Really? Science dictates that it takes two to conceive. Yes? Even if in vitro fertilization you have to go through, you have to take the sperm from the male and unite it with the egg of the female for conception to take place. Correct? So why does the Bible say born of a woman? Well, in the first place, we just read that the promise, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overcome you. And you will give birth to this holy child who is the Son of God. So if Joseph was involved in the formula, then this particular statement would not stand. Born of a woman. Where does this come from? In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and God sought them out because of their sin, God meted out the penalty of their sin. And curses came upon them. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Notice, whose seed will fight with whose seed? The seed of the devil. Can we turn off the other mics? It's a bird. The seed of the devil. They will be at odds with each other. There is enmity between the seed of the devil and the seed of the woman. Now, when you say seed, more often than not, it refers to the man. The sperm of the man is considered the seed because the woman's contribution is the egg. Are you still with me? The promise is born of a woman. Enmity between your seed, devil, and the seed of the woman. Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. But she was engaged to Joseph. You mean to say, nothing happened? In Philippine family law, I am not sure about U.S. family law. The consummation of the marriage is for the husband and the wife, the newly married, to have sexual intercourse. If there is no such event, the marriage 
is null and void. Attorney, correct? I stand on the authority of the Philippine family law. Now, don't come to me, Pastor, I want to divorce my wife because we had not consummated our marital vows, okay? We are talking about the Christmas story. That is another discussion. Her seed. Look, Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. In their culture during their time, when you are engaged, you are considered married. The engagement process gives more or less about one year. So if I am engaged, I am considered married. I'm a man. I go back to my home, learn what it is to be the man of the house, to earn the money. The woman goes back to be trained how to be a wife, to be a housewife, etc. After 12 months, they come back. We have the wedding ceremony, all the good stuff. But then, you're already engaged, therefore, slash married. Are you with me? His mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged. So in, for all intents and purposes, they are married. And Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, before they came together. So they had not yet had physical union. They had not yet had physical intercourse. Because it's not yet time. The wedding ceremony had not yet taken place. So you can't exercise your marital rights and duties until and unless the marriage has been officially pronounced. But while they were engaged, before they came together, the, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This time you're the man. I love you. Will you marry me? Sure. But we have to wait nine months. Why? After I give birth, then I will marry you. Even to say, you're already with child. I thought, I'm the man. So who came ahead of me? Is it that not a natural question? If you are engaged to me, why are you with child? Hey, who is the father? The Holy Spirit. I, I'm engaged to a drunkard. Must be drunk. From a human perspective, all of this will go through your mind. And Joseph was an ordinary human being like you and I. When he found out that the woman Mary, to whom he was engaged, was with child, he wanted to do the righteous thing. And what is the righteous thing? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Verse 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away 
secretly. In other words, Joseph, being a righteous man, was planning to divorce Mary privately so that Mary would not be publicly shamed. This was the righteous thing to do if you were the man. That is not my child. Just ask Michael Jackson. He wrote a song. He made millions. Billy Jean. Okay, never mind. Born of a woman. Joseph planned to divorce Mary. But God intervened. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. When God intervened, God spoke to Joseph in a dream. The angel told her, this is what's going to happen. Going to happen. Your wife, Mary, to whom you are engaged, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So when Joseph awoke, this is what he decided to do. He took Mary as his wife, notwithstanding that she was pregnant. But kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And called him and called his name Jesus. He did not exercise his marital duty to his wife because the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, She's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Joseph, being a righteous man, Continued with the wedding, continued with the betrothal process. But it says what? Kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And what was the name? Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. Born of a woman. Conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. If Joseph had had physical relations with Mary, would that still be consistent with what the Bible says? Born of a woman, if there is now a contribution from the man? Debatable. But, she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and her betrothed husband did not have any physical relations with her. But he kept her a virgin until the child was born. And they named the child a male Jesus. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. What law? The religious law. The Mosaic law that God gave to Moses that was still in place all that time. Not only were they under the law of the Romans, they were more under the law of the religion. Ten commandments. Do this. Do that. Do not do this. Do not do that. 
And in the culture, they managed to expand those Ten Commandments. Just read the Old Testament. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? For as many out of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Are you under the law? Are you under compulsion to obey the commandments of God? Yes. But I hope and I pray that your obedience to God is not born out of obligation, but born out of your love response to how much God loves you and has sought you out and has saved you through Jesus Christ. Born under the law. Now, what does Romans say? We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. You have any right to complain to God? I don't. He owns everything. Yet I am accountable to God for everything. Because he is the one who set everything in place. Born of the woman, born under law. Why? Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes knowledge of sin. How do you know that you are supposed to drive 65 miles per hour? How do you know? Posted. How do you know that this is a one-way street? There's a posted sign. How do I know that I am a sinner? Because the law says I am a sinner. Well, Pastor, I'm not really so bad of a sinner. So I think I'm exempted. Because I don't kill, I don't steal, I occasionally lie about what time I reported for work. And I occasionally lie about how early I left before my dismissal time. Revelation 21, what does it say? Cowardly, the vile, the unbelievable, the abominable, sexually immoral, practicers of magic, etc., etc. And all liars. Is lying a sin? Are you under the law? Born of a woman, born under the law. And if you and I are under a law, my friends, according to what we just read, you and I are under a curse. If we want to get to heaven based on our capacity to obey the law, my friend, you have to obey the law 100%, 100% of the time. So that, my friends, if you choose to use that measure to be able to get to heaven, you are under a curse. 
Not only are you under a curse to obey the law, which you and I cannot comply with 100%, 100% of the time, you have just set aside the grace of God because you have let Jesus out of your salvation equation. Born of a woman, born under the law. Why the law then? If the law is a curse and I cannot go to heaven based on my obedience to the law, why the law? Why the law then, Paul writes? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. Read this with me. Until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Therefore, the law has, insofar as your salvation and mine, if I may use, it has an expiry date. The law is set in place until the seed would come so that the promise may be fulfilled. So the law, when you and I see the commandments, it should tell us, I cannot make the grade. How then will I be saved? So the law is your tutor. It is your mayordoma, majordomo. It is your housekeeper. It is your nanny to bring you to a point that you and I would realize, I am hopeless. Because the law tells me I am a sinner. And Lord willing, when you and I realize that we are sinners, we'll realize our need for a Savior. Because you and I will not want to look for a Savior if you and I think we have no need for salvation. But if you are just honest with yourself and read the Bible and see for yourself how much you and I fail, I pray that it will drive you to look for a Savior. And I pray that you will discover salvation in no one else except Jesus Christ. Because He was born of a woman, born under law. For what purpose? So that He might redeem. Did you sing that song? Redeemer, Savior, King. My friend, He came to seek and save that which is lost. He came to redeem you and I. Now that word redeem, lutroo. Lutroo means to release by paying a ransom. You cannot be released until your ransom is paid. You and I are in bondage to sin. A ransom must be paid so that you and I can be set free from our bondage to sin. A ransom is a release by paying a ransom. Redeemed. Phonetic spelling. Short definition. I ransom, I liberate. I deliver. Deliverer. Redeemer. Healer. Did we not sing about that? Redeem means release by paying a ransom. Therefore, if nobody pays your ransom, you will never be released. 
There's a movie coming out about Paul Getty. You watching the trailers? They kidnapped him. J. Paul Getty III, they kidnapped him. I haven't seen the movie. I don't want to preempt it. But in the trailer, they interviewed his grandfather, J. Paul Getty. The trailer says he was not only the richest person, he was the richest person of all time. And he was interviewed. So how much are you going to pay to release your grandson? He said, I'm not going to pay a single cent. They're trying to collect a ransom so that the kidnappers will set his grandson free. They did not. If you know the story from way behind, they cut off a part of his ear and sent it to his grandfather. A ransom is paid so that you will be set free. The process is called redemption. And Jesus Christ came to reveal, to redeem, to reveal that He is the Son of God, to tell us that He is the Redeemer, to tell us that He is our Savior, to tell us that He is going to pay for our sin, to ransom us, to set us free, to liberate us. How do I know that Jesus is the ransom? Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. 27. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Now that's radical. You want to be first, what do you do? Move aside, move aside, move aside. What is Jesus Christ telling us? Be a servant first. Put the needs and concerns of others ahead of yours. Pastor Danny just preached not too long ago. And he reminded us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 8, right? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Jesus Jesus is telling us, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first must be your slave. And what did he say? Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And what? And give his life a ransom for many. What is a ransom? What is a redemption? Somebody has to pay the ransom to liberate you, to free you, to pay your indebtedness. Jesus Christ modeled it for us. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom, a ransom for many. Ransom for what? Ransom for the curse, the curse of our sin. Galatians 3 says, Christ what? Redeemed us. Christ ransomed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed 
is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. He redeemed us from the law by becoming a curse because in their time, why is he crucified? He is cursed. That's why he is crucified there. He, our Lord Jesus Christ, took the penalty of your sin and my sin. And he hung on that cross to be a curse on our behalf. He took the curse that should have fallen on us. He took it on himself. To pay the ransom, we could not pay. So that he could redeem us. He could purchase us from the penalty of our sins. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he may redeem those who are under the law. Now, who are those under the law? Uh, policeman, I did not violate the speed limit. It was the car ahead of me. It was not me. Ignorance of the law excuses no one. Right? So, let's see who are under the law. Romans 3.10 As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now, according to Romans 3.10, Romans who is righteous in this place? Romans 3.23. Let's read it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When the Bible says all, or English language says all, what does that mean? All. Everybody. There is no exemption. Everybody. Everybody has sinned. Everybody has fallen short. I was sharing with uh, the Chino Bible study group. So there are some people who say, wow, that is the penalty of sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wow. Pastor, from now on, I will not sin until I die. From now on. No problem. But your problem, my friend, is how are you going to deal with all your past sin that you have committed before today? You may have some people with whom you have shared. That is very scary. So from now on, I will not sin anymore until I die. I will live a perfect life from now on. No problem. How about your life before? Who settles your indebtedness to God for your sin before you heard that? You see? That's why you need a redeemer. You need a savior. You need someone who carried all of your sin on his body on the tree. Who died who became a curse for you for all of your sins because the book of Colossians tells us He paid for all of our sins having nailed it to the cross. 
Not only my sin from today moving forward, but all my sin since I was born. There is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, I am in good company because all of us are sinners. <laughs> but what about the penalty and the consequences that come with sin? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a gift. The penalty for sin is death. But God offers you a gift. And you, I'm sure, you have been thinking, some of you already fell in line in whatever mall you go to because you want to give a gift, something that would bless the heart of the recipient this Christmas day. God offers you a gift. It is called eternal life. He does not give you what you deserve would be justice. He does not give you mercy because mercy is not for us to get what we deserve. But He gives us grace, something that we do not deserve. Yet God decides to give it as a gift, as an offer. Are you going to receive that gift? Christ is the end of the law. The law was set in place until the seed would come. Christ is the end of the law. He did not set aside the law. He fulfilled the law because the law says the payment, the wages for sin is death. And Jesus Christ died to pay for your sin. Christ is the end of the law. The law ends when the grace of God comes. It doesn't mean that you and I are no longer supposed to obey the laws of God. It means that we no longer rely on the law for salvation because the seed, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the law has come. Christ is the end of the law. Why? So that there may be righteousness. For whom? For everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. My friend, you have to exercise faith. And the beauty of God's grace is even the faith to believe comes from God. Even the faith to believe comes from God. Now, why did God Go through all of this. Fullness of time came. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. I don't know if you are here this morning and you were orphaned 
or your mother gave birth to you and she could not take care of you and decided to give you up for adoption. But I would like to think that if you're that child and you're in that, that home or adoption agency, that every time a couple would come in and look you over, I would think that in your heart of hearts, you're saying, will you please take me? I will be good. I will love you. Please accept me. Adopt me into your family. Make me one of your own. Adopt me, please. And then the couple would pass you by and take that other child to adopt that other child instead of you. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, that through His completed work, His redemptive work, we might receive the adoption as sons. That we who are guilty of sin and need to pay for the penalty of our sin, which is death, would instead of receiving death, be adopted to become part of the kingdom of God. Paul writes, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a term of endearment. I don't know what you young people call your parents, your father, Papa, Daddy, Dada. Now, if I go to your house and I call your father, Dada, uh, would you like to increase my allowance? It's crazy, right? Why? Because I don't have that relationship. Right? I have a pesky neighbor. Example lang, ha? I have a pesky neighbor. The son always runs around, hollers, and I cannot go and rebuke. Why? Not my child. No relationship. Now, we are separated from God because of our sin. But we can be adopted into His kingdom through Christ. And if you are adopted into His kingdom through Christ, you can call to God. Not only Father, but you can call Him Daddy, Papa, or however you want to call Him. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. Adopted. And I like what the Bible says. Do you realize that there are no nephews? There are no grandchildren? There are no great-grandchildren? Just one category. What? Children of God. Adopted into His family. Eventually going to be with Jesus Christ in heaven, in His kingdom, where there is no end. But I have to be what? Adopted. I have to be adopted by God the Father. And the way to be adopted is to accept the gift of redemption 
through Jesus Christ. Now, being a son has certain privileges. Yes or no? Being a child has certain privileges. Yes? You can go to your dad. Dad, iPhone X. It's not yet Christmas. It's a little over a week. You have a phone, but there's a new phone. So you make lambing, right? Because you have that relationship. You have that intimate relationship. So there are privileges. There are certain rights. You can call. And when you call to your father, your father will answer, especially when it comes to God, because he already said, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Yes? So being a son, being a child of God has certain privileges. And I want for you to realize this morning that there is somebody in our midst who has personally experienced this particular privilege that he would cry out to his father and his father has answered. Brother Hermie, can you come and share with us what God has been doing in your life? My name is Herbie Talam, married to my loving and beautiful wife, Glenda. I'm blessed with two children, Sela and CJ. Good morning. In Hebrews 9.27 says, And inasmuch as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this cometh judgment. This is the verse that came into my mind when my doctor dropped the news of a big C. I have a colon cancer. Death becomes reality. The doctors immediately scheduled my CEA, blood works, CAT scan, ultrasound. Glenda and I went in and out of the hospitals and doctors' clinics for other tests. My surgeon promptly arranged the surgery on November 3rd and took out the tumor with the size smaller than a baseball, and cut out 12 inches of my colon. I stayed in the hospital for eight days and was discharged. But after four days at home, I was rushed to the emergency. And for the second time, I got admitted in the hospital and stayed for another nine days because of my infections and abscess in my colon. I experienced more pain than the first hospital admission. I had an IV left and right arm, NG tube. This is a medical process involving the insertion of a plastic tube through the nose, past the throat, and down into the stomach. They inserted needle or catheter on my left side through the skin into the abscess to remove or drain the infected fluid. They also drained fluid on my right knee because of gout. And the most painful is the opening of my surgical wound consciously and without anesthesia. All of this pain that I'm experiencing, God impressed me of how Jesus suffered and endured the pain he went through on the cross for my sake because of for his love. In Isaiah 53.5 says, 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. On December 13, last Wednesday, we had an appointment with my oncologist to discuss what kind of treatment I'll be going through. He said that based upon the results of my surgery and findings of the pathologist, my cancer was lowered to stage 2 cancer from the initial diagnosis of stage 2B. He concluded that the tumor was totally removed. All the lymph nodes were tested negative for cancer. Praise God. And there were no traces of microscopic cancer cells that may affect my other organs. The good news is I don't need to undergo chemotherapy and radiation because of the factors above. I praise God. All I need is to have a regular blood works and a twice-a-year colonoscopy for the first year and once a year thereafter for five years, which the oncologist termed this as watch-and-see approach. God is really good and almighty, and truly prayer works. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for including me in your prayers every day, and please continue to pray for me. My name is Hermit Alam, owned by a greater sea, who is Christ Jesus, my Lord and my Savior. To God be the glory and praises to you, Jesus. I was having an oil change. Well, not me, the car. <laughs> I was having my car have an oil change, and I got a, a text initially from Sister Marivik. And uh, said, uh, Hermie is asking me to share this with you. And I was there in the, you know, the waiting area. And God just spoke to me through that text. And God just impressed upon my heart how unworthy I am to lead you on. If not for the grace of God. You know, we, we, we come as part of our roles as, as pastors. We come visit you in the hospital. We pray with you. We pray for you. But it's really all about God. It's not about us. We're all the same. We are all cursed by sin. But God gave the provision of redemption, forgiveness, and salvation to all who would believe. As if God was just telling me in my ear. That's why I was crying there. I hope nobody was looking. I was just crying there. And God said, Lord, I'm telling God, Lord, I'm not worthy to lead these people. I'm a sinner too. Who am I that you would have me lead your people? I just praise God and I just thank God for Hermie and his faith and their family. 
Mami, if God did that for Hermie, will God not be with you when you undergo your procedure? Yes? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hermie and other people in our congregation who have experienced such a personal touch from God will not have the same love for God as Hermie has now. Because while and even if we are just adopted, we have rights. Even adopted children have rights. Even adopted children, when it comes to inheritance, they have a share in the inheritance. But you have to be adopted. You have to make sure that you are a child of God. And John chapter 1 tells us, He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. Jesus Christ came to His very own people, but His own people rejected Him. Because they thought Messiah would liberate them from the Romans. Because they did not understand that their true bondage was to sin. He came to them and they disowned Him. In verse 12, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. My friends, as you look at this passage, ask yourself, have I come to that point in my spiritual life that I know that I have expressed my faith in Jesus Christ, that I have accepted Him as my Lord and my Savior? Have I been born of God? And my friends, if the answer, if your answer to that question is yes, then I'm telling you this morning, God has given you the right to call yourself a child of God. Not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Are you a child of God this morning? Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons. And when Jesus Christ was born as we close, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. My friend, our greatest need is not more money. Our greatest need is not more houses. Our greatest need is not more cars. Our greatest, not, our greatest need is no more than the relationships that we have. But I'm telling you this morning, our greatest need is for Jesus Christ to be our own personal Lord and Savior. Because if God 
knew that our greatest need was money, who would he send? Financial wizard. If our greatest need was for physical healing, he would send a doctor. But what does the Bible say? Today, in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior. And who is that? The Christ of the Lord, our God. Are you born of God this morning? Is Jesus Christ born in you? When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Are you a child of God this morning? I'm going to ask our music team to come up as they have prepared a special number for our Lord. While they're coming and as they prepare to sing, let's use this time. Let's use this time to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. To see if the Lord Jesus Christ lives in our heart as our Savior and our Lord. And if the answer to that, my friends, is no, you can make this Christmas a truly meaning, meaningful Christmas for you. But you'd come to faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the forgiveness of your sin. Receive the adoptions as son. And have the right to call God our Father. Abba. Father. As uh, we sing the song, um, I encourage you to meditate on the lyrics. Um, if you so feel um, like you want to stand up and sing along with us at some point, feel free to do so. But just let the song speak to you. Let the song reach out to you. This is an invitation um, to come to the foot of the cross and accept the free gift that God has given us, that is His Son, Jesus Christ. Regrets and mistakes Come today 
Thank you so much that you've given us 
this opportunity, God, to come before you and worship you and give you the glory that you deserve, Jesus. So we come now and we celebrate the great and mighty God that is in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this last song. Man, together.
Jesus, the praise. Thank you, Jesus.